You're listening to Radio Influence. Welcome to another edition of the Real Animals Podcast. Today we're going to talk with current Edmonton Oilers goaltender and former Tampa Bay Lightning goaltender, very good friend of mine, Mike Smith. Uh, he is uh, an avid outdoorsman, great fisherman, uh, played in the NHL now many, many years, had a great career. Uh, I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I'm looking forward to doing it, uh, getting caught up with my good friend, Mike Smith. Welcome to another edition of the Real Animals Podcast. Uh, super fired up today to uh, have a very good friend of mine joining me. We haven't got a chance to get caught up in a while, but uh, looking forward to this podcast to spend a little time with him today. He is currently the uh, goalie for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, spent a, a lot of time, played actually on five different teams now in the National Hockey League. He's my good friend, Mike Smith. Mikey, how are you, buddy? What's going on, big boy? And I'll tell you what, dude, we're uh, we're doing all right, my friend. I I was I was doing some homework uh, on you before uh, this podcast. Um, you know, when you you started your career in Dallas and you got traded to the Lightning, which was a blessing for us as a franchise, and then obviously a, a blessing for me because uh, Mike Smith loves to fish, so. We ended up getting to hang out and know one another. Um, tell me a little bit about about growing up in Canada, Mike, as a hockey player, and and what that means, and and you know, and and tell me a little bit about your journey. Yeah, I mean, you know, going way back, I think I, I grew up in a very small town outside of Kingston, Ontario, in Canada, and um, you know, less than a thousand people, no stoplights. Our claim to fame was, and still is, the uh, Ravel's. Ford dealership, um, <laughs> you know, had one small grocery store, um, the town, you know, kind of is bordered by three or four or five different lakes and, and streams. So, you know, a kind of blue collar family, uh, one small arena that I grew up playing hockey in and, and skating on my outdoor, um, makeshift arena, which was, uh, hardwood Creek. Um, didn't quite freeze across all the way. So, um, some interesting times growing up as a kid there, but, um, I'm definitely, am proud to say I'm from, uh, you know, grew up in a small town and, and, uh, you know, lived every kid's, you know, Canadian dream, which is to play in the NHL for a living. And, um, I can still remember those days back then, you know, on the outdoor rink, dreaming of playing the NHL one day. So I feel very privileged from where I, where I came from and where I've gotten to, um, you know, and, and trying to be a good role model for kids that come from small towns too. So what, what kind of challenge is it? Uh, I'm assuming, did you play juniors obviously, right? Yeah. Um, I played hockey in, in Canada. Um, obviously, you know, Canada and hockey is probably very much like Florida and fishing. Um, <laughs> you just, it's kind of blood and, and, uh, you grow up, like I said, skating on the outdoor rinks, um, beaver ponds, whatever you can kind of get um, your hands on at that time. And it's just kind of something that draws people, you know, closer together in, in our country is, is the game of hockey. And um, like I said, privileged to be, be doing something that I've been doing for a long, long time uh, for a living. And 
and obviously never taken that for granted. So it's kind of, uh, you know, just where we come from. You think of Canada, you think of hockey, that's for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. So spending some time with you and your family, I got to spend some time with you, especially you and your dad uh, on some fishing trips and things like that. And, and I had a chance to talk with your dad uh, one evening, you know, many, many years ago when you were playing for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, and your dad told me that you were a pretty good fast pitch softball player as well. Yeah, I think. You know, coming from a small town, we didn't have hardball where I grew up. We had, you know, fast pitch, and it was something that I loved to do in in the summertime. And to be honest, I loved it as much or more than hockey. It was just a different, um, you know, a different change of scenery um, from hockey in the winters to transitioning to ball in the summers. And and I, I honestly really believe that um, I became a you know, a good athlete and, and probably really helped my goaltending by, you know, I was a catcher in fastball and caught probably one of the best pitchers in our age group, uh, in the whole country, maybe, maybe even outside of that. So I think just the hand-eye coordination thing transitioned very well for me from being goaltender to, to, uh, you know, a catcher in, in ball. And I can remember some very fond memories of, of, you know, playing a lot of competitive fastball as a kid. I, I, when I was having that conversation with your dad and, and, and we were talking about you as a kid and, 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 you know, obviously, you know, the, the incredible athlete that you are. And he was telling me that you were a fast pitch catcher. And, and he told me that you had an invitation to play fast pitch for team Canada. Um, and it was an opportunity that you had to turn down, uh, because you had a hockey commitment. And at the time, your father told me it was just a great disappointment for you that you didn't get the opportunity to, to represent your country, um, which, you know, from, from, a, from a regular athlete's brain, the fact that you make it to the National Hockey League as a goalie is incredible in its own right. And then to find out that you're, you know, one of the best fast-pitch catchers in an entire country, <laughs> is, it seems a little... Uh, you know, like you, you could spread the love a little and give somebody else some of that athletic ability, yeah. Mike. You don't have to hoard it all for yourself. But <laughs> for, but when, when I heard that that story, you know, you and I have become friends, so I felt bad. I was like, man, that stinks. You know, Mike had an opportunity to play for Team Canada. And then in 2014, um, you got the opportunity to play hockey as a goalie for Team Canada in the Sochi Olympics Tell me about that experience because I, I remember just being so happy for you because your dad had told me that story and, you know, you, you missed that opportunity and then, you know, here it, it kind of comes full circle. You know, the hockey commitment takes you away from it and then the hockey commitment brings you right back to getting to represent your country. Walk me through that experience a little bit. Yeah, just to, I guess just to rewind a little bit to the ball is like at that time in my life, I, I, I love both sports. And it was kind of, uh, you know, when, when hockey was on in the winter, I, I was in love with it as much as I am now. Um, but when it transitioned to the summer and ball started, like I was kind of forgot about hockey, to be honest, and was like all in on the ball. And so when that, and, and they never really collided, right? They were always like, you know, seasonal where, where nowadays it's, you know, there's more of one sport athletes where they're, you know, they're playing hockey all year round here in Canada. They're skating all summer. You know, they're 
not getting the, the opportunities that not saying they're not getting them. They're just choosing that, um, you know, one sport over multiple sports, which, you know, I love, I love the transition in the ball in the summer, got me away from the rink, kind of got me doing some other things, got me with, uh, my really close friends. Um, and you know, that, that decision was probably one of the hardest ones I had to make up to that point in my life, you know, to, to choose, you know, to go down the path of choosing hockey as a career and trying to make something out of it and leaving behind, you know, an opportunity that I, I would never get back. And so, you know, fast forwarding to, you know, everyone's, I think everyone's dream, especially in Canada is to play hockey for your country or, um, you know, I had a chance to do that for ball and it was a hard decision to turn down, but to have that, to have that chance to kind of, I guess, live everyone's, dream as a kid to play in the Olympics and, and don your country's colors was obviously the, something that I really can't describe. Even though I was, I was more of a cheerleader than anything, being the third goalie on the team, um, you know, you still earn the respect and, um, you know, earn the right to, to be one of those members, those, those few guys that get the chance to do that. And ultimately, I have a gold medal now because of it, which is, it's kind of surreal even talking about it now to this day, but um, definitely kind of came full circle with having the opportunity to do that in ball and not getting to fulfill that. And then um, years down the road, um, you know, having a chance to, to wear the Canadian flag on a jersey and, you know, ultimately be in the Olympics for Team Canada was obviously a, an indescribable feeling. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I was, I was, I was so happy for you. Um, when you guys want it, uh, just to, to see the big smile on your face and all that, I, I could kind of feel that emotion. So, uh, congratulations on that. Now going back to going back to the, the one sport now where we're like you said, so many kids and including my daughter, um, in the world we live in, you know, I grew up and I ran track and I played football and I played basketball. So, you know, it seems like 30, 40 years ago, kids, played multiple sports and, and now it's gone a lot the other way, just as you said, you know, we're, you know, up in Canada, the kids skate all summer versus maybe going and playing another sport in the summer, you know, as a dad now, as a parent, um, you've got four, right? Or are we I on do, five? Yeah. Okay. Four. All right. I just want to no, make sure. No. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know if we had the basketball team fully rounded out yet or not. Um, <laughs> um, with, with four kids, as a parent now, and seeing that trend, um, where do you sit with that? Do you think it'd be more important to, to you know, maybe show your kids multiple sports, or maybe find one thing they love and really work hard at it? I mean, where's where is Mike Smith, the dad, sit on that topic? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's something kind of, it's a challenging thing nowadays. It's um, you want to obviously give your your kid every opportunity to do whatever they want to do, and you know, my kids love sports like I do. And, and, uh, I want them to do, I want them to try everything once. Like that's kind of a model that I've had for a long time is like, I'll try anything once. And then <laughs> you can decide after that, whether you like it, hate it. Um, you think it's goofy or not, but I think it's important to give your, your children the opportunity to do whatever they, you know, want to do. And then they can be the judge of if they like it or not, or how much time you want to put into you know, pushing them in that direction or not pushing them, but giving them the, giving them the right guidance to, to make those decisions 
you know, on their, on their own. But I mean, me personally, my opinion is, is that you become a, a way better rounded athlete by doing other things. And, and, uh, I mean, I, I know there's great athletes that are, are only, you know, one sport athletes, but, um, in my opinion, I think it gives, it gives them a, a lot broader range of things or they could be good at than just, uh, just one thing in general. It doesn't have to be sports. It's anything in life, but, um, my kids, you know, they're, my oldest is eight, almost nine. Um, his, his next brother's seven going to be eight in, in December. They're close in age. They played hockey together on the same team this year. When you see, you know, how much they enjoy it and then, you know, how many other parents are, are doing it all year round, you know, they're getting somewhat of an advantage over your kid, which is, is a hard thing too, right? So it's a really difficult question to answer. Um, I do believe that I want my kids to do other things and they love to play ball and they love to, so- to kick the soccer ball around. They love to fish and be in the outdoors and play hockey and kind of like what I like to do, but um, you just don't want them to be at a disadvantage either. So that's, it's kind of, it's a back and forth thing that I struggle with actually um, even at this age to, you know, to not let them get too far behind in one sport, but not push them so hard that they, they hate it two years from now. <laughs> right. Real, uh, there's a real fine line there. I think, um, with my daughter's going to play college basketball in the fall. And, and there was times over the last two or three years where she had mentioned trying to play volleyball and I didn't want to discourage it, but I just, I also knew that, you know, I'm like, listen, if you, if you go play volleyball now, you're behind. Cause a lot of those girls have been playing volleyball since they were six. And, you know, here you are, you know, in your late teens and you just want to pick it up now. Not that you can't do it. You can do it. But the other thing is you're taking time away from your basketball, which, you know, at that point she had already said, hey, I want to play college basketball. So I think as a parent, you're right. I think you run into a you run into a tough situation there where you have to try to guide them without pushing them in one direction too hard so that they end up, like you said, maybe they end up hating the game or you know, worse yet, hating you for that. So good, uh, good stuff for sure. And with four kids, you'll get plenty of practice at it there, Smith dog. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah that's for sure. <laughs> You're going to get plenty of practice. Let's, uh, let's talk about fishing. So how does, how did fishing come to be such a big part of your life? Obviously I, I would guess probably where you grew up. Yeah, totally. My, you know, my dad being an avid outdoorsman loves to hunt, loves to fish loves to be outside. Um, you know, I grew up on, on two acres in the country, like I said, in a small town. Um, so I had a little river that ran through the back of my yard. Well, I shouldn't, shouldn't call it a river. It's a Creek. It's a Creek. And, and, uh, you know, lily pads, cattails, um, could probably throw a stone across it, but there's, you know, there was sunfish, perch, bass, pike, um, in that little little creek and i can remember as a kid going out there little aluminum boat um you know and catching whatever using worm gathering worms or collecting frogs in the lawn uh, i can remember my i had a golden retriever his name was bear and and uh when i was a young kid he was the best frog catcher of us all he would catch the frogs put it in, the, put it in his mouth but not not kill him and then when, when you tell him to drop the frog, he dropped and the frog would be so scared. it would just sit there and you just pick it up, put it in your pail. 
So it was kind of a, I can remember following him around the yard. We had a big, you know, two acre, two acre lot where my dad's known as Bob Vila because he'd keep his grass as green as anything. And so it'd be a great, uh, you know, great living quarters for the leopard frogs. And so that was kind of the bait of choice. And if we couldn't find any of those, then it was, you know, digging worms in the, my mom's flower beds or, um, you know, finding different ways to, to get minnows or whatever, or whatever it may be. But, um, I can remember a lot of, lot of hours, um, fishing in that Creek. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, I guess, where the fishing background came from, where I was right out my back door. And, um, I'm sure my mom and dad, um, you know, I can remember my dad specifically, you know, spending a lot of days in the boat with me too, um, finding the honey holes and trying not to share them with any of my friends. <laughs> secret, secret squirrel stuff. I like it. I like secret it. So squirrel, yeah. <laughs> with all of your, uh, with all of your travels now, you know, obviously, you know, being out in Arizona for a while, Dallas, your time here in Tampa Bay, is there a, is there a certain place and, and maybe it's home, maybe it's back in your hometown, but is there a certain place that, uh, you know, would be your favorite place that you've ever fished? What a question, eh? Coming from a fishing guide in, in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> well, I'm just, and again, I, I'm just saying it, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up in Wisconsin, um, you know, and, and now with, with everything I have going on, I've been able to fish in Costa Rica and Louisiana and all these places. So I get to ask that question all the time, you know? So yeah. I figured why not ask the Smith dog? You're pretty well traveled. You love to fish. I'll never forget. And I should tell our listeners this story. I should dive into this real quick. So you got it. You got to imagine Mike Smith, the goaltender. He's, he's pretty tall for a goalie. I, I'm, I looked online and one of them's got you listed at six, three, you're taller than six, three. I'm, I'm not buying any of that. So I'm like six, five. Michael's as tall as I am. He's lean. He's a, a professional athlete. I get a phone call from my friends at the Tampa Bay lightning and they say, our new goalie, Mike Smith, and his family are in town, and they want to go fishing, and they want to go Sunday, but they're going to need like three boats because there's a bunch of them. I'm like, okay, all right. So I set up these three boats, and, and we pick them up at a spot in Tampa, and we're on this bite, and we're catching trout and mackerel and little sharks and just kind of a, a mayhem bite. You know, we know everybody's from out of town. We just kind of went after some action. And on the back of my Dorado boat in the corner, there's a six foot five goalie standing on the gunnels, barefooted, catching fish after fish after fish. And he looks down at me about two hours in and he goes, Cap Mike, you're going to get really sick and tired of seeing me. We're going to spend a lot of time together. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget it as long as I live because. I don't look up to too many people, and most people don't stand on the back corner gunnel of my boat while they're fishing. But Smitty is up on the gunnel catching fish after fish, and I was like, all right, Smitty, sounds good to me, buddy. Looking forward to it. And and we fished just constantly after that while you were here in Tampa. So um, when I when I talk about you sometimes to people, I tell people, I'm like, I'm at the gym at like 10 o'clock in the morning, and my phone rings, and it's Smitty. And he's like, Captain, they're letting us out of practice early. I need to go fishing. You got to pick me up. 
I'm like, Smitty, it's 10 o'clock. He's like, I know, but we got to go fishing this afternoon. Can you pick me up? I'm like, yeah, we'll get you on the water. So, I mean, just (laughs) (laughs) an avid fisherman. Do you remember the time that we caught the bicycle, Michael? Yes, I was going to bring that up. (laughs) In the cast net? Yeah. Yeah, we were actually cast netting bait, and uh, we caught a bicycle in the cast net. Somebody had dropped a bicycle at the base of the marker in Tampa Bay, and we caught a bicycle while we were catching bait. So, um, there's, I, I have, so cool. t- what's I, that? I remember this day how you were that you had a bicycle in your net. And I think I, I, I looked over you and we both looked at each other like, okay, you probably not a, never caught a bicycle before in your, <laughs> no. in your bait net. Nope. And so I'm like, dude, what are you mad at? Like, you're never going to do that again. <laughs> right. and you're a face your net. You're, you're so choked that you had to cut this old rusty bicycle out of your cast net. And I thought, I think we got a pretty good laugh out of it though. I think we did. We had, we, there's some stories that we probably shouldn't tell on the podcast. Um, just, you know, to protect the innocent. Um, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's, there's some, uh, there's some dandy stories, especially down in Boca Grande, all that stuff. But anyway, so you fished a lot of different places. So you gotta you gotta tell me, you know, where maybe your favorite place uh to fish would be. And again, if it's you know, I for me it's 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 Boca Grande. But you know, that's just a different it's a different deal for me. That's kind of how I started my career. So, you know, for you, where would it be? I, did you did you get to fish in Arizona at all? Uh, I did. I wasn't very successful. I tried to go after like the big bass, like big largemouth that you're throwing like, you know, 12 inch swim baits at. Right. Um, didn't, didn't get, um, didn't get to do it often enough to be good at it or know the spots. And, and so kind of every, every spot you can find somewhere to fish, I think, right. but not just saying this cause I'm on a podcast with big cat Mike from Tampa Bay, but I think the Florida area is pretty tough to beat. You know, I've fished, like you said, I fished in Costa Rica also. No, I fished in, you know, other places around the world. And I, what I love about Florida is like, you just go out and you don't know what's going to be on that day. You don't know what you're going to catch. You you like, I think just the, the species in general that you can catch when you go out on a boat in the Tampa area is uh is incredible and i think as a you know for anyone that loves to fish you don't have to be catching monster trophy fish but there's so there's so much um so many different varieties of, of fishing there that it, it's just so enjoyable i think I, I have a lot of memories of fishing with you captain and, and my my dad and you know ray phil a trainer of of you know the lightning to this day still and yep. um just a lot of, a lot of good memories, but yeah, if I were to pinpoint it, a book is just, it's, it's incredible. It's, you know, it's a rodeo. It's a different, if there's nothing like it in any fishing that I've ever done to this point. Um, and having hundred pound, 200 pound tarpon jumping out of the water, you know, feet in front of you is, uh, is a pretty unreal experience. And, you know, touching on that just for a second, I can remember the first one I ever hooked up with, I think it was a smaller, it was a smaller one, probably in lower hundred pound ish range. It ended up jumping in the back of a guy's boat, uh, <laughs> two older men. And, uh, 
it was it was on like Donkey Kong at that point because it was <laughs> uh, no, it was I think it was three different guys trying to get a hundred pound tarpon out of a guy's boat and. Um, I think one of them ended up throwing their rod in the water because he was a little nervous he was going to get his leg broke. It made a mess of their boat. I think it kind of ended their day, but that was my first experience of hooking up with a uh, Silver King and uh, something I'll never forget, that's for sure. I think, and, and I tell people this, and, and I don't jig fish Boca Grand Pass anymore. It's it's changed a bunch since you and I were able to do it together. Um, and I tell people all the time when – when when we talk about tarpon jumping in boats, I often tell that story of you hooking that tarpon and, and walking up the side of the boat headed for the headed for the fighting chair on the bow and look your head just whipped around and you looked at me and went, Captain, he jumped in that guy's boat. <laughs> and the look on your face, I will never, ever forget it. Um it was a classic memory. But I also tell people too that with jig fishing in Boca Grand Pass it, it, sometimes that bite was so slight and you had to reel really fast in order to, to set that hook in that really hard tarpon's mouth. And to this day, I've never seen anyone obviously with hands quicker than yours. You were the <laughs> baddest jig fisherman I ever had on my boat because if that tarpon even breathed on your line, it seemed like you were reeling. And your hands were so fast, uh, go figure, um, that it just it, it just made you an incredible, incredible tarpon fisherman. So w- there's no way we, there's two things we definitely have to touch on. Um, I know I remember a day that myself, uh, you, Paul Ranger, and Nigel Kerwin were on the boat. We were catching redfish on Tarpon Key, and that was the infamous Nigel Kerwin caught three pelicans in one day. Do you remember that? (laughs) (laughs) He still has that hat. I just, I just had him on the boat here not too long ago and he still, he still wears that hat. So, uh, and I'm sure he listens to the podcast. So I'm sure that, uh, he's going to call you when he hears you talking bad about his hat. Um, but, uh, it's funny because I, when I, I did a podcast with Paul Ranger as well and, and Paul and I talked about the uh, Pelican Day, which is still a record on my boat. I've been guiding 20 years now on Tampa Bay. Has <laughs> to be a record. It is. It is a record. It's still. It's a record that still stands today. And when Paul Ranger I and I, <laughs> when Paul Ranger and I brought it up on the podcast, Nigel's phone blew up with his buddies actually calling him. Uh, and then when I got to do the uh, podcast with Nigel, we got to uh, we got to touch base on that incredible day as well and then another day that that we should probably share with the listeners is the ej burnus day oh it's a must must. (laughs) the ej burnus story is an absolute classic and i've i've told that story hundreds of times because it was and every now and then i hear from ej which is spectacular it always puts a smile on my face ej burnus is a uh, a longtime friend of Mike's um, from his time back in Dallas. EJ is in the country music business. And uh, I remember Michael telling me that EJ was in the country music business and me thinking, oh, well, I wonder what that means. And then we were sitting on the boat trying to catch EJ's first tarpon. 
and EJ was sitting in, in, in front of my council on the cooler and he was on his phone. He was texting and I'm like, EJ, get off your phone. We, we need to fish. And I remember EJ looking at me saying, it's Reba. And I'm like, it's, <laughs> it's Reba. And he goes, yeah, it's Reba. I'm like, okay, well you should probably text her back. So, um, so EJ is in the country music business, um, very knee deep in the country music business and is a great guy. So obviously he follows, comes and visits Mike in, in Tampa. We, we get him down in Boca Grande tarpon fishing and we want to catch him a tarpon and we're working our tail off and he's just, he's a little snake bit for a day or two. We finally, uh, we finally get him a fish and it's the perfect, it really is a, it, the perfect tarpon because he's maybe 60, 70 pounds of fish that we can kind of pick up, get a really good photo of in the boat. Um, and when <laughs> we picked that fish up and we put it in the boat, it, it was a young, it's a young male tarpon. And, and those, those fish, Captain Mike. <laughs> he, he acts, we picked this fish up and, and those fish congregate in these passes in, on Florida, uh, in May and June to, to feed heavy, to go offshore and spawn. So the males are, are ready to spawn. They're ready to go. And when we picked this tarpon up, um, he left love sauce all over the front of my boat. Um, and we got our picture and, you know, I, I didn't think it was no big deal. It wasn't really a big deal. It happens. It's one of those things, but EJ didn't have any shoes on. And when EJ, <laughs> when EJ turned around and both of his feet came out from underneath them and he landed, landed, just perfectly planted his rear end on my front deck and was sitting in all of that tarpon's love sauce. And I was on one side of my council on my knees, face down laughing. And Michael Smith was on the other side on his knees laughing. I've never seen, I don't think I've ever seen anything funnier than that in my life. And unfortunately the listeners won't be able to, to see the look on EJ's face when he was sitting on that <laughs> front deck. But, I'll try to paint this a little bit better too. Um, Figuratively, uh, EJ Burnus is not a small human. <laughs> no. um, he's a big fella. And when his feet went up over his head and he landed on his back on the bottom of Captain Mike's boat, it didn't make a little thump. <laughs> it probably, it, it shook that boat and probably a lot of other fishermen in that whole bay felt it too. <laughs> Oh my God. It was so, it was such a funny moment, Michael. Um, I, I will never forget it. I love following EJ on social media, just from the fact that every time I see his smiling face, I think about that day that he fell on his, uh, fell on his keister. So that was kind of a, uh, that was kind of a classic. So a couple more questions for you. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's roll, let's roll into, so you love fishing in Florida. If you could only fish for one more fish for the rest of your life, Michael, what, what fish would it be and why? Wow. You can fish a lot, but you can only fish for one fish. I mean, it's obvious to me just because of my experiences with you in Boca and like fishing for tarpon, like I said, is, is, is kind of, kind of stupid in a sense because they're just such an amazing animal, such an amazing fish and you can fish it. You can fish them so many different ways. And I think, if you're fishing deep sea and you're jigging on a reef or something or an old wreck, 
you know, you're fishing one way and you can, you can fish like that for tarpon, like you said, in Boca in the past, or you can, you know, pin them down on the beach or you can fish them under the bridge or you can, you know, there's, there's so many different ways to fish them that gives you a whole different experience and a whole different uh, um, kind of outlook on how amazing the fish really is. And, you know, I fished them around the Gandy Bridge with Ray and, and when you hook one up there, it's a rodeo to get it out from underneath the bridge and, you know, get it out into open water and your chances of landing one are slim to none, but it's, you know, fun in itself. And then you can have it, you know, in, in the wide open Boca Grand Pass with, you know, a hundred other boats around you that you're trying to dangle your way around boats and lines and, <laughs> and everything right. else. And, and that's kind of cool in its, in a sense too. And then you can kind of, if you want to, you know, if you want to quiet things down a little bit for a little, for a little while, you know, you start chucking some crabs at them, you know, when you, you get in pods to six or seven or eight, um, you know, against the beach and it's kind of a lot quieter. You're in the crowd, you're kind of picking on a couple fish here and there, where if you get one, it kind of can be a little more in- intimate with the fish getting in the water with it. So I think it's just a tough fish to beat after you've been, after you've done it and done it, you know, more than a couple times. Um, fishing anything else is kind of not even comparable in my opinion. <laughs> I'll never forget the uh, first time I put my bride on a tarpon in Boca Grande. Um, she hooked up on her first drop, dropped a jig to the bottom, reeled it up, hooked a fish right away, fought it for about 30 minutes. We get it to the side of the boat, release it, and she turned and looked at me and she said, What? in the actual hell would you, why would you ever fish for anything but that? That was the coolest <laughs> fish I've ever caught in my entire life. I mean, she was, she was just blown away by it. So, um, I wasn't sure cause I knew you had traveled some, you know, fishing is such a big part of, of, you know, Canada. Um, so I just wasn't sure, you know, I thought maybe tarpon would be, uh, somewhere on your list for sure. But, uh, you know, we had some yeah. pretty great redfish days and, and, snook days and all that as well but I, I just you know it's hard to be it really is i mean when i say this on the radio when i'm doing the radio shows all the time you know i mean it's a fish they call the silver king i mean you don't yeah. you know i mean it's you don't get a you don't get a moniker like the silver king for no reason um it's a pretty special fish i, I got the opportunity to to do some tarpon fishing down in the keys um along the seven mile bridge there and in and out of that beautiful bridge and, 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 uh, film a couple shows there. And it, it's, it's spectacular. Uh, there's so many different places and so many great ways to catch them. Um, you know, we were fishing with giant mullet, live mullet and cut mullet just into the current there, uh, at the seven mile bridge and just flying fish left and right. It was, it was totally insane. And like you said, then you're trying to, you know, land a fish that's going in and out of the bridge pilings. And I mean, it's, yeah. uh, yeah, it's uh, it's not for the faint of heart. It's uh, it's super good stuff. So, uh, good stuff, Mike Smith. Always good to catch up with you. I saw a stat, and maybe you know, you probably don't know because you probably don't pay attention to it. But, um, and it's probably more than this now. But uh, over five hundred games played in the National Hockey League. Uh, you have done an incredible job, my friend, of of uh, of having an incredible career. Uh, many great stops in the league. I know your career's not over yet. Hopefully, 
they get this thing figured out. You guys can get back to work. Have you had any uh, any word on on how that may go, or or if that's going to come together for you guys? It's actually over six hundred now. Oh, is it? Okay, all right. No, no, I'm done <laughs> taking. I, I I looked. I tried to I double check it. I tried to double check it, and I couldn't. And I thought I saw. Which, if you're at six hundred games now, it's got a. I want to say that at five hundred games, you ranked eleventh all time or something. You know oh, what you're. I don't know either, but well, I'm just that's what I, that's why I didn't throw that part in because I wasn't sure. But even 600 games, even more ridiculous, Michael. I mean, that's that's no, just incredible. It's, uh, and you know what? I'll, I'll, I will say this: just just from spending time with you and obviously loving the outdoors and fishing, and we're talking fishing, playing hockey, and then being able to fish on your off days is is something that you know it helps you play a long time. You know, to be honest, and and me liking the outdoors and love to hunt and and fish and be able to share that with my family and to be able to play hockey. I think, uh, you know, obviously checks a lot of my boxes that I enjoy doing. And so having those days with you in Tampa and on off days, you know, you open your schedule up for me to come out and fish to kind of turn my mind off from playing, you know, the game that I'm so focused on for eight months of the year is, is something that, you know, is an important way to kind of, just not think about anything else other than having a good time with a buddy. So I appreciate all those times you took me out because it kind of makes you, it helps you have a better, a better career, a longer career and keep your mind right. Fishing's always done that for me and being in the outdoors has always done that for me. So obviously appreciate you taking your time and we'll always be close buddies and I can't wait for our next uh, fishing adventure. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, and, and that was one of the cool things about, um, you, you know, with me, I fish for a living, so it's it's what I do for work, but I know the days that you and I fished together, when I had you on the book, when I had you and your family scheduled, I knew it wasn't going to be like a day at work. I knew it was going to be a day fishing with my buddy. I knew we were going to laugh. We were going to have a good time, um, and, and, and I really enjoyed that time, and I, I want your career to go on for as long as you want it to go on for, um, but I'd be lying if I told you I'm not looking forward to... Uh, that phone call when you're coming back to Tampa and we got to get you back in the schedule and get you on the water, maybe get you on the TV show. Um, maybe even get you down to my Georgia deer lease and do a little deer hunting when you, uh, when you wrap up this, uh, incredible career you're having. I'd absolutely love that. And obviously I'd like to share that with my, uh, my boys also, they love to, you know, fish as much as I do probably right now. And, um, I can't wait for that day to have us all back in the boat together. Yeah. I'm looking forward to meeting the kids and, uh, uh, do me a favor, my friend, and, and give Brigitte a big hug, and uh, Ronnie and Ingrid, the, the family, big hugs from Cap Mike. Tell them, uh, tell them I miss them, guys, and uh, I hope everything continues to go well for you, my friend. I look forward to talking to you soon, and uh, thanks for some of your time today. I really appreciate you being on the Real Animals Podcast. Always a pleasure talking to you, big boy. <laughs> Take care. We'll talk, we'll talk soon, my friend. Thanks, Michael. Hey, buddy. Wow, I hope you enjoyed that Real Animals Podcast as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you the real animals podcasts are presented by contender boats uh, they are available on apple Podcasts, stitcher tune in google play and ri tampabay.com remember to subscribe rate and review we try to drop new podcasts each and every tuesday so stay on the lookout for those if there's anybody you'd like to hear me do a podcast with you can get a hold of me uh direct message wise uh Real Animals Fishing Show on Facebook, 
uh, Real Animals TV on Instagram, Real Animals Fish on Twitter. Love to get some leads on who you guys would like to have me interview or talk to. I hope you enjoyed today's uh, podcast. Mike Smith, just a great, great guy. We've had so many great memories together. Really, really enjoyed that. Hopefully, you enjoyed it as well. Have a great day. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. Everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.